house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. the young gentleman who called me about the narrator. The thing to determine conclusively is whether you're in a comedy or a tragedy. Have you met anyone recently who might loathe the very core of you? I'm an IRS agent. Get bent, tax man! Everyone hates me. Well, that sounds like a comedy. Have you written anything new today? I figured out how to kill Harold Quick. Little did he know that events had been set in motion that would lead to his imminent death. What? Why? Hello? Come on! Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's the man now, dog. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my omniscient narrator, chain-smoking author, co-host, Joe Reed. Chris File welcomed his co-host, Joe Reed, to the podcast as they began to discuss the Oscar failure that was Stranger Than Fiction. And what a failure. What a um, failure. What a this, moment. This movie took me on a roller coaster ride throughout like an entire decade plus of watching movies, so I will say... I will say thoughts. the thing that I resented this movie for when I first saw it in theaters, I resented it less because it feels way less fresh, but we will get into that... Because, Joseph, yes, it's it's not enough for us to have an omniscient narrator right. for this episode. We also have to have a guest. We have a special guest this episode. Again, Excited. you know him as the host of the And the Runner Up Is podcast, and he's a writer for Gold Derby. It's Kevin Jacobson. Hi, guys. Wow, Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Little did I know that my simple, seemingly <laughs> innocuous act of being on this show would result in my imminent death. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, so Kevin, I love your podcast and the runner-up is. I have been on it. We talked about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and that really um, paltry Oscar year. Um, so, yeah. of course, we wanted to have you on. Um, yes. But as usual with... Our guests, I am really excited to talk to you about your Oscar origins because we didn't discuss anything like that. Like what, as we usually do with guests, we want to know like what drew you to Oscar initially. Yes. So, so. I'm excited to hear this about you especially. Well, this is very interesting because uh, a little peek behind the curtain, this wasn't necessarily my first choice to pick this movie, but mm -hmm. the way things worked out, this was a bit of a backup, but it actually we was a little bit... did not want director overlap for recent right. episodes. <laughs> yes, but it's a bit serendipitous as well, because my origin story with the Oscars is actually 2006. Oh, wow, and so, cool. And so, not only that, though, but like... It was actually following the Oscar run of Little Miss Sunshine ah, that really yep. just captivated me because I was a huge fan of The Office at the time. I was like in on the ground level with that, just really excited about like Steve Carell and this whole world. And uh, 
I saw this new movie, Little Miss Sunshine, coming out, and I wanted to follow it because of Steve Carell, and it seemed really interesting, and I loved it at the time, and I was frequenting message boards like Gold Derby, for example, (laughs) and um, just wanting to see if it could break through into the Oscars because it never really felt to me like this was the kind of movie that could do that. Yeah. (laughs) Just in my 16-year-old brain at the time, I just felt like the the, the Oscars don't go for movies like this, but people are talking about it that way, so I was really excited about this as like an underdog story. Little Miss Sunshine had this weird long trajectory that like kind of set a template for a certain type of movie and Oscar like because Mm -hmm. you're you're very right that when that movie first came out it didn't seem like the slam dunk that maybe it looks like in hindsight or um in hindsight yeah Joe correct me if I'm wrong there it it set a template for a while I think I think the way way back may have like killed that template because they thought yeah. it was going to follow. They thought that movie was going to follow Little Miss Sunshine like exactly to the point of like we're going to make a big deal about the mode of transportation, like that kind of a thing. <laughs> and it's just like yeah. the exotic hatchback station wagon. It's just like okay, um, <laughs> but I think that's true. I think it. I think Little Miss Sunshine played the Sundance to Oscar trajectory about as well as anything besides maybe precious like i think those mm. two movies really sort of in the late 2000s killed of the southern wild too yes except beast of the southern wild for a while was counted out of that race like it sort of made a comeback on nomination morning and i remember yeah. like a lot of us were sort of like had a lot of faith that it would but like i think little miss sunshine and precious had both sort of ensconced themselves very solidly into like the upper echelon of you know what everybody thought was the best picture class that year Mm -hmm. and um i think just did so on a very sort of like well-planned you know sort of march through the season and you know, did very well. I still really love Little Miss Sunshine. I don't know if I'm the only one. Me too. I need to re-see it because (laughs) I didn't love it at the time and it kind of like escaped me the type of love that other people had for it, but maybe I would like it more now. I don't know. Maybe I was expecting it to cash a check that the movie was never writing to begin with. Allow Um, it into your heart, Chris. (laughs) I will do my best. Kevin, that is a fascinating like Oscar entry point just in terms of a movie. I don't think anybody has said that one. I think people yeah, have said this not. year because <laughs> yeah. we've definitely talked about Dream Girls before, and I'm sure we'll talk a little well, bit that, about Dream Girls. That was the other thing, though, is like on the nomination morning, I was very invested in it and I was so excited. And then when it was re- you know announcing in alphabetical order, it's like Babel, The Departed, but then Dream Girls missing. I was like, yeah. oh my god. What is happening? Yeah, and then Salma Hayek Jima comes. No note of it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and then and then when Little Miss Sunshine happens, I just was screaming at the yeah. time, and I was just kind of obsessed with the whole Oscar narrative of it all. Like the double whammy of Dreamgirls missing and Little Miss Sunshine getting in, I was just like hooked ever since. Yeah, yeah. so it's a yeah. potent cocktail of uh, of ups and downs and yeah, disappointments and, uh, yeah. and satisfaction. Yeah. And now Little Miss Sunshine has uh, brought you into, like, extreme Oscar history fold yeah. that, like, I 
completely envy your um, <laughs> your commitment, sir. Now it is a little bit of work, so yeah, speak, I appreciate that. Speaking about the Oscars, as you do on uh, mm. on your podcast, would you consider Little Miss Sunshine the runner-up to yes. the Departed that year? That is what we covered as the runner-up. Yes, nice. just because yeah. of the it won PGA, I believe. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it won SAG as well. So I just felt like there was enough of a groundswell, and it felt like an alternative. I didn't know if, you know, Babel was a possibility for sure, but yeah, I ultimately went with my favorite. I think I went into I that one. I remember predicting <laughs> Babel for whatever reason. Mm. Okay. And well, Golden Globe. Well, and, and mm. I, everything seemed very spread out, I yeah. think, that year, whereas, like, the Queen had won BAFTA and. You know, everything's. I don't think anybody really thought Letters from Iwo Jima would win, except for the fact that, like, Clint Eastwood, Oscar Juju, sort of like, (laughs) everybody figured he was just this sort of, like, you know, dark lord of the Oscars who knew what to, what spell to cast or whatever. But. Yeah, like, now that type of predictive thinking doesn't have as much ground to stand on a decade and a half later of Clint Eastwood movies surprising and then being terrible every December. Um, It happens every year now. I remember everyone was so excited about The Mule last year, like, oh, here comes Clint. (laughs) So happy I never saw that movie. Um, (laughs) But, like, Letters from Iwo Jima, was was there anything between that and Million Dollar Baby? Uh, well, Flags of Our Fathers a couple months before that. Well, yeah. Concurrently, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so what is, is it the Little Miss Sunshine thing that made Stranger Than Fiction stand out to you to talk about? Hi, guys. We haven't mentioned this yet, but we're here to talk about Stranger <laughs> Than Fiction. Yes. The um, Mark Forster, Charlie Kaufman wannabe, we will get into it Mm -hmm. but is it the 2006 thing that made you pick this movie or like what made this movie stand out to you to be your at least second choice well it's a little bit of both it was again sort of my oscar origin so i was very conscious of stranger than fiction but this also has another kind of weird story to it that it just like unlocked when i was trying to remember how i felt about it at the time which is that uh i remember seeing it in high school and I just remember being a little bit mixed on it overall, when a little bit disappointed. But then when I, I specifically remember going to school and my English teacher asked me what I did that weekend. And I, <laughs> I told her, yeah, I saw Stranger Than Fiction. She said, what did you think? I said, eh, it was okay. And then she specifically said something that I don't know why it just like stuck with me. But she was, she was like, it wasn't what you expected it to be. And I was just like, first of all, the way she said it was a little bit condescending, (laughs) just in the sense of like, oh, you're probably expecting some Will Ferrell comedy, like, you know, when it's much deeper than that. But then, like, just the way she said it and the comment itself just sort of made me think of film criticism a little more, just like in the sense of when we go to movies and like, it's not exactly what you expect it to be that that can be okay and that I can, you know, be more open-minded about what a film can do and it doesn't Mm -hmm. always have to be exactly what I expect it to be. And I guess it sort of made me a little less judgmental about certain types of films. And I I know that's that's a lot to take from like one little comment, but it was this (laughs) one little weird moment. One little rude comment. Yeah, yeah. The tone was iffy, but yeah. (laughs) I had a similar experience um, when I was... I must have been 
just out of high school, maybe still in my senior year of high school. But I remember I was on our like family's first PC or whatever on some sort of like AOL movies chat room or whatever, just like venturing in and talking with strangers about movies because I thought it was a big shot. And the the ice storm came up. And I remember the first time I saw the ice storm, I was unmoved because you know as a very sophisticated 17 year old i knew what <laughs> shout was out going to our on, episode so. on the ice storm yes um i'm surprised i didn't tell this story in that in that episode um but i remember being like when people were talking about the ice storm and you know it's brilliant and fantastic blah, blah 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 and i was just like i don't know about the ice storm i thought it was really bleak and really just sort of uh, just really s- sad and a, and a huge bummer. And somebody was just like, a movie doesn't have to be like happy to be good. And I remember sort of like, and that is a very blanket, like defensive internet oh, thing yeah. to say about things. But at the time, it was the first time I'd ever been really sort of confronted with that, that idea of just like, do I just like movies that make me happy? And <laughs> it sort of just like sort of sent me tumbling down a little bit of like an introspective thing. And I still sort of think that I wonder sort of like, like, you know, early scars sort of last the longest or whatever. But I still sort of think of this <laughs> like, am I too focused on movies that make me feel good versus movies that like are good in and of themselves? And sometimes I have to like make sure I'm still you know, checking myself on that end. But that was probably just a very rude AOL chat room poster. <laughs> Shout out to you if you're out there reading or listening to our little podcast. Asshole. You dick. Every- everybody's stories here have people being jerks to them. I don't know if I have. <laughs> yeah, where's your because, jerk story? Like, oh, yeah? Well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. I don't know if I have a jerk story. My jerk story is probably the opposite, where it's like, I love this weird thing, and someone's telling me that it's stupid. Um, I don't know. I guess the type of thing that made me think deeper about the type of movies that I'm watching, it feels like there it would be younger for me. But, like, I remember the one that kind of unlocked things for me is, like, one Christmas, my dad gave me a Netflix disc subscription that, like, I had full reign over, like, what I could watch, but, like, he picked the first movies for me. I can't remember what one of them was, but I know that the other one was Safe. Todd Haynes is Safe. Oh, sure, Which, yeah. like, wow. fully my dad only picked for me because I loved Julianne Moore so much. Right. But, like, mm. talk about being too young to watch a movie and it fully just like giving you complete galaxy brain about what movies can do. I love the um, idea of looking for a movie that's just like, well, he likes Julianne Moore and how bad can the movie be? It's called safe. Like it's not going to be emotionally <sighs> scarring for a young person to watch or anything like that. And then like cut to you like emerging from the room with like no blood in your face. And you're just like, ah, my environment's out to get me. I watched that movie as an adult. I watched yeah. that movie as an adult, and I'm still just yes. still a little bit shaken by it yeah. to this day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I don't, I don't even know. I, like, you could have given me, I don't know, the Lost World, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I saw Safe before I even saw Boogie Nights. Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what would have here. been the first Julianne Moore movie that I saw. <laughs> I guess Hand That Rocks the Cradle. But I didn't realize until, like, after that it was just like, oh, that's Julianne Moore. Who she was. Definitely the first Julianne Moore movie that I ever saw was Nine Months. Aha. Uh-huh. There we go. Nine Months. Problematic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but funny. <laughs> kind of funny. Joan Cusack's I've, great in it. I've never seen that. I've still never seen it. You should watch it. It's fun. I should. All right. Maybe I will. All right. See you guys. However. Go watch Nine Months. <laughs> all right. Bye. <laughs> 
shout out listeners, uh, go watch Nine Months after we talk about the movie we're actually here to talk about, which is Stranger Than Fiction. As I mentioned, it's directed by Mark Forster. Like, one of the most This Had Oscar Buzz directors ever. Yes. Mm. Like, Bless truly. I mean, there's <laughs> other movies we'll talk about for him, but, like, I don't know. Like, just his movies that did land with Oscar, he was just absolutely never part of that conversation. We only recently sort of, like, gave up the ghost on him, right? It's only, it was only that, like, Blake Lively blind woman movie that, <laughs> was she deaf? <laughs> it was something, right? No, she's blind. Anyway, it was only that movie. Where, and even that movie, I remember that, like, played Toronto, and people were like, eh, you never know, Blake Lively might be good. And it's just like, we like early success with the Oscars really does sort of put you in, in the carpool lane. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, once you're there, it's tough to get you out. He's probably pretty out at this point. Yes, um, I think so. uh, I, nobody was talking like best director for Christopher Robin. Let's just put it that oh. way. Got um, a nomination in visual effects at least. So yeah. that's something. <laughs> Can I read Actually, what his movies in effects? development are on his IMDb page? Okay, tell us what the Mark. All right, I'm intrigued. Are. Yeah, one of them is Untitled Greenpeace Project in pre in pre production sure. with Jonathan Glatzer writer. Based on a novel, no cast attached. But the other one is called The Cow, and it stars Ewan McGregor. And all I can think of as a cow? is just like, as, as a cow would be amazing <laughs> if it was Ewan McGregor as a cow. Um, but like, Kelly Reichert's already made First Cow now. So like, it is Kelly Reichert, mm. right? Yes. Okay. So, like, if you've already got the first cow, you've already been beaten to market by for the cow movie. So you've got to yeah. There's only so life. many room, so many, so much space in the multiplex for cows. And for cows, you got to right. reserve it for the first cow. They need their room to graze. You know, they just give them a lot of space. I am very speaking excited of which, for... there's a lot of horse movies lately. Oh, that is true. About. I cannot with horse movies. Horses are terrifying. Chris will call them all sea biscuits. So I, wow. I, I still can't. That feels problematic. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still can't remember the title of Secretariat. <laughs> um, very excited for Kelly Reichardt's um, presidential cow movie. Yes, um, where a cow plays the president. I love it. Um, but uh, Stranger Than Fiction, also written by Zach Helm, who was like an up up and coming screenwriter who like I tried to find the blacklist scripts around this time because yeah. I thought at least Stranger Than Fiction was a blacklist script. And I thought Mr. Megorium was as well. I, I tend to agree with this memory of yours because it, it tracks. I, I couldn't find it, um, but it was if it, he wasn't a blacklist screenwriter, he was like on the variety screenwriters to watch list. He like this was supposed to be an up and coming guy that with two movies, it just like went away. Well, he's such a he's such a, um, a artifact of like a fifteen month window in time. We're literally yes. just like, well, we're watching a movie written by Zach Helm, and it's just like I know exactly what like era of the decade you were in and you were in 2006 to 2007 and he was like the hottest thing going for like a few months and then it was it was over finished yes absolutely although now he Uh, is doing the screenplay adaptation for the adrian line movie 
based on the Patricia Highsmith novel with Which Anna is the Armas most concerning thing about this movie. Like, I want more erotic <laughs> thrillers. I don't know if I want them to be <laughs> written by the Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium guy. Well, and so Answer, he's... I'm going off, Lark. He's one of two credited writers, and the other one is a writer for um, Euphoria, among other things, Assassination Nation. And so I'm like, one of them did the first draft of it, and one of them did the good draft of it. And like, whichever one got the final draft of it is probably going to like sway how this movie ends up, probably. That's fair. <laughs> and I'm hoping that it's Sam Levinson who got the 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 script that they're shooting because that seems at least a lot more like Adrian line directing a movie from, uh, uh, one of the guys behind euphoria is genuinely exciting to me. Deep water, not to be confused with the deep water shark movie, not to be confused with dark waters waters. from this past year. Uh, It's a lot going on. Those waters going on. Yeah. Also with a lot going on. Is Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. This oh cast is also like a huge reason why this movie had Oscar buzz. It's Will Ferrell doing his first, like, first finger quotes because Winter Passing, like, came and went from a Sundance <laughs> before this movie. Yes. Uh, doing his first serious role. There's Maggie Gyllenhaal, Emma Thompson, Queen Latifah, Dustin Hoffman, a pre veep Tony Hale, Linda Hunt. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth is in like the background as like a TV <laughs> host, but I don't think we ever hear her speak. Tom Hulse has a beard. Um, but yeah, Stranger Than Fiction was a gala at TIFF in 2016 or 2006, then played Chicago Fest, which makes sense because the whole movie was filmed in Chicago. And then it was a wide release uh, November 10th of 2006. Hmm. So, I had so much hope for it. That is Me that too. is the background on Stranger Than Fiction. Um, mm. Before we get into it, though, we need a 60-second plot description. Kevin, Ugh. are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. To cram the entire <laughs> plot of Stranger Than Fiction into 60 seconds. Literally impossible, but I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> All right. If you are ready, your 60-second plot description for Stranger Than Fiction starts now. All right. Will Ferrell plays Harold Crick, who is just a mild-mannered IRS auditor guy who's just going about his day, very routine. Suddenly he hears the beautiful voice of Emma Thompson, and he's very concerned. He becomes very concerned when he hears that he's going to have his imminent death and goes to a bunch of uh, different professionals played by various Academy Award-nominated actors and settles on Dustin Hoffman, who is this lit professor, and he's going to try to help him out. seconds. And um, so we also meet Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's sort of a manic pixie dream girl sort of situation there. <laughs> and um, the, him and the, the two of them have a connection, and it's very nice or something. And um, <laughs> we also have these scenes with Emma Thompson as the writer of Ten this fiction. And she's sort of grappling with things, and Queen Latifah is also there helping her. And... Comedy and tragedy ensues. And that's time. (laughs) Maggie Gyllenhaal's Manic Pixie Dream Girl in this movie is Manic Pixie Brooklyn Baker Girl. Yes. Yes. Manic Pixie (laughs) Sugar Cookie. What's Mm -hmm. the Brooklyn of Chicago? Like, that's where she is. Because she has, like, the cap sleeve tattoo. Right. And she just bakes cookies that don't really seem that great. 
No, like she... I mean, Cookie's still a cookie, but yeah, I get what you're saying. She's the she... least developed thing about this movie. Like, it's very, like, yeah. one of those things where it's like Maggie Gyllenhaal was coming up towards, like, a first nomination that we knew was coming. Yes. But, like, as soon as you see this movie, you can, like, write her off of, like, supporting actress talk because the movie does nothing for her. This was a big yeah. year for her. This was Sherry Baby also, and that was mm, one yeah. where... <laughs> You know, the wind blows a different way. I think 2006, as we've mentioned before, is an insanely stacked year for Best Actress. So, like, nothing was cracking that that five. That was Mirren for The Queen, Streep for Devil Wears Prada, Winslet for Little Children, uh, Penelope Cruz for Volver, and Judi Dench for Notes on a Scandal. So, like... You know, best of luck to anybody. Pretty ironclad. Yeah. Yeah. And for something that's a little bit, like, scrappier of a movie, like, you're going to have a hard time cracking that when, like, the scrappy movie is Little Children, which was still a studio movie. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you could see them trying to maybe put some eggs into her supporting actress basket for this movie, but you're right. It's a totally underdeveloped character. We're really meant to take some leaps of faith in terms of her relationship with Will Ferrell's character. Like, this whole thing where they start off so antagonistic. Where she, my favorite scene of hers in the movie is when she leads the bakery in a revolt against uh, the tax IRS man. agent. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah yes. tax man. Like, it's so funny. Um and they're like, do they start throwing things at him? I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's very that, that's very funny. But like the leap from that to like, oh, like he gets her the basket of flowers, like ha 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 ha. Um, but then like has this like very sort of like awkward and forward language, which is just like, I want you, I want you to unambiguously know that I want you. And they're like literally in a dark alley after work. Like it's so, like I don't know, it's not romantic. That is not a romantic thing. Like I don't know. Yeah. Um. I mean, we all want to screw our tax auditors, right? Like, <laughs> well, something she, we've all done. She <laughs> plays that note as good as, as well as somebody can. Like, I think that is a note that Maggie Gyllenhaal plays well, which is, I am inexplicably attracted to a person or a thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I have sort of like, for whatever reason, I'm into this. And you're going to buy it because my energy is that chaotic. And it's just like, yeah, okay, it's Maggie Gyllenhaal, I get it. But, like, even that doesn't really stand up to the, the thinness of plot strands that brings those two together. I think she does a lot of heavy lifting. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there just, uh, the way that this movie is just, like, incongruously plotted is, par- is partly why it doesn't... Let me just say what I don't like about this movie. Yes. Okay, the thing that off. made me like actually really hate this movie the first time, and now I'm like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit removed from that, so like it doesn't bother me that much. Right. This movie is so like actively chasing like a Charlie Kaufman vibe, it is. right? Mm-hmm. Like it wants to be a Charlie Kaufman movie, but it's like. I I don't know how to say it other than, like, the movie is actually, like, Charlie Kaufman for boring people or, like, Charlie Kaufman minus imagination. And, like, minus, like, the human factor of what Charlie Kaufman does in his screenplays where it's, like, this movie is essentially about death and dying and, like, coping with the fact we're all gonna die and, like, artistic, like, I don't know, I guess responsibility or like uh, a, an artistic 
like lack of respect for human life if you're just if you're just like yeah. blithely treating death that way and it's like I don't know like Charlie Kaufman does that in such a like attentive to human detail way that like doesn't feel like a whiff like it has some right. weight to it like the imagination is actually like really at the forefront and this just feels like the most I don't know, like white bread version of that. Here's what Charlie Kaufman doesn't give you is a scene where Dustin Hoffman as the literature professor, after like looking into the whole thing and, and getting the book manuscript from uh, Emma Thompson and reading it and whatever, and goes back to Will Ferrell and is like, you're going to have to die. The book is too good. And this movie and whether it's Helm's script or Forrester's direction or whatever, um, plays that scene for the most simple sort of like pathos, tragedy, whatever, where it's just like, isn't this just sad? Let's just be sad for Will Ferrell for a moment because he knows he's going to die. And I think Kaufman knows enough to know that like, no, you either have to play that scene as absurd or like shockingly like he'd have thrown like a dash of like violence in there or like something Mm -hmm. in there to just sort of just like to show that just like this is extremely fucked up this idea that a person would have to die for a work of literature to have meaning and yeah this movie's incredibly literal emotionally like the way that it's conceived like like the most absurd thing is that you see some dude's butts in a locker room (laughs) <laughs> yes, I mean, which is just sort of out of nowhere and out of place, but yeah. And, like, Emma Thompson has these suicide ideations that mm. are, like, a little bit more absurd. I don't know. Emma Thompson's yeah. character in this movie vexes me more than most because I even at the time, like, if you go back, there's probably, I have my little list that I keep through the years of just, like, who I would have nominated for Oscars in that year and whatever. And I'm pretty sure Emma Thompson is still, like, my number one for 2006 because I haven't bothered to go back and change it yet because, like, I love Emma Thompson. I don't think she does a bad job in this movie. But I was, like, way too high on this movie when I first saw it. I was, I sort of bought into it so much more and I totally bought into how much I love Emma Thompson. And Mm -hmm. she was so much just a wonderful screen presence for me that I was just like, yes, number one, why is nobody else talking about this? Blah, 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 blah. And, but I go back and I look at this and I'm just like, wow, she's really just stranded on her own little island in this movie for like, you know, that's where the story puts her, yes. But like, what is she, what is her deal? Why is she, you know, they get, it's so simplified down to just like, she has writer's block, she wants to kill herself. Like, I don't, I don't, it's it's so imprecisely rendered. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, I That's, think the same yeah. way about Will Ferrell's Harold Crick. But, like, I do think what's great about Emma Thompson in this movie is, like, this is the type of role that only Emma Thompson can make work and compelling. And I don't know. No, I, yeah. th- I think that's right. Um, I just want more for her. I want more, I want to give her more to work with. That's actually what I was watching it back, feeling like, I feel like I'm more interested in the Emma Thompson story behind all of this because I just feel like there's so much more depth they could have gone into with 
her character and her process and just the emotional attachment there to right. her characters. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if you rejigger this and make it the Emma Thompson story and have yeah. things differently i almost wonder if that would have been more compelling not only because i just love emma thompson too but just you know i don't know i think that's right um because like both her story and the herald story are on this level playing field of reality which like they meet each other and all of that and like that should be more bizarre yes but it doesn't Mm. make sense and i certainly think it doesn't make emotional sense that, like, one story is not more absurd than the other. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like, I, I, yeah. No, you're totally right. Absolutely. It should be, like, the the crossing between parallel dimensions when they meet. And it's not. It's just sort of as matter-of-fact. The whole movie has this, like, matter-of-fact tone. And, like, I guess that's, like, a way to do surreality as... Just like, well, this is just like, it's surreal, but it's just happening in the same visual language as the rest of the world. And like, okay, but then you've got to make that funnier. You've got to make that stranger, like something. And if not, then it's just like, then acknowledge the fact that this is weird. Then acknowledge the fact that this is total surreal, like narrative bending, whatever. And then it you kind of just make blandly that assumes to- that we are going to be like, whoa to this happening right right (laughs) like i would much rather if the movie is going to approach it in this way i would much rather they just never meet and it's two completely separate realities yeah and i don't know how i feel about just the fact that they never really address the logic behind all of this very much (laughs) like they just don't even really touch on that it's very magical realism sort of stating it how it is but they never go too in depth as to like how he can call her phone and you know it's just right right it's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in this case it's one of those things where you wonder if part of this movie's problem is that it is a studio movie and was always a studio movie like were the edges of this sanded down so much like i've obviously like laid into the script a little bit but joe i think you're right in that like is that more of a directing thing and i also kind of think it's maybe that this is a studio thing where it's like a studio got this screenplay and they were like oh charlie kaufman is like kind of having a moment in this like period right and like they were kind of chasing something like that yeah because if you look at something like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like they don't really ex- i mean i guess that's pseudoscience so i guess there's like explanation or whatever mm-hmm. um i mean i guess maybe being john malkovich is the more uh more apt comparison there where it's just like it just sort of is why is there a portal into john malkovich's brain it's just there it's always been there. yeah and i think that works if you like lean into it in that way and I just also think that like there's too much of Stranger Than Fiction that is just flat and dull when it shouldn't be. Like mm. Emma Thompson and Queen Latifah should have this like wildly um, 
like oppositional relationship to each other and if they're like this is just sort of just like mild annoyance or whatever and it's just yeah. like i don't need it what is this what what am i wasting my time with just like you've got emma See, thompson queen, and latifah's queen latifah is the one i think is wasted the most in this movie that's and exactly like, what i was thinking yeah, yeah. their first just, scene why do you together. hire queen latifah for this honestly exactly <laughs> why do you hire queen latifah to share the screen with emma thompson like the most exciting scene in this movie to me is their first scene together just the energy of holy shit we're gonna watch queen latifah and emma thompson like rip into something together and it's going to be awesome and then it's it gets more and more boring and i think queen latifah you could probably count on one hand the amount of scenes that she has in this movie that's at least what it feels like to watch yeah she's a total minor presence Mm -hmm. wait are you just a lot of great great suits she has, great suits, great beautiful suits. Suits. Just saying. Yeah. Um, Chris, are you just trying to make an excuse for why you forgot that she was in this movie in the IMDb game a little while ago? Maybe. Okay. Though it, it makes God. complete sense watching this movie again. <laughs> why you would forget her? And like, we just want better for Queen Latifah. Of course we do. She she was just for. coming off of an Oscar nomination at this point, yeah. right? So exactly. This is like the afterglow where you. I don't know. That's which just like bizarre. It, Queen Latifah, one of our finest national resources for joy mm-hmm. if her oscar payoff is this movie that blows <laughs> just blows yeah truly uh, we'll I mean, get into i want to get into the mark forster thing but yeah. like i think it speaks to what isn't working in this movie and what like you're saying is so flat about it that we haven't talked about will ferrell at all <laughs> until now until me that's bringing what up. i was gonna yeah. bring up yeah <laughs> he's the least compelling presence in the movie he's it's that thing where you take a comedic actor and you give him a serious role and the way that you because people talk about just like well how are you gonna like get around the fact that he's just this like naturally funny person and sometimes these directors just like well, I'm just going to, like, drain the charisma from them. I'm just going to just, like, tell them to be as unfunny as possible and sort of, you know, take away all that personality. And it's just, like, that's a death knell for a movie like this. Hmm. I do think, for me, that there is an extra poignancy, though, when comedic actors tackle, like, super heavy material just because we have this relationship with them i don't know i i I feel like i i'm always sort of attached to when like robin williams went dramatic sometimes or when jim carrey with eternal sunshine truman show i mean melissa mccarthy can you ever forgive me is just right incredible but i don't know how convinced i am of will ferrell's dramatic ability but uh i don't know it's just he's such a mild-mannered character that just never takes any risks and it's yeah. just so flat for most of it that it really feels inert for almost all of it's it. It's funny. It's a we... weird chicken okay. or the egg thing because it's like is it a shitty role or is he just not a good dramatic actor? And like the right answer is probably both. Yeah. Little column A, little column B. Yeah. I think you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny that we're doing this episode a couple weeks after we did our Enough Set episode with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, both of the stars of... Um, Downhill. Downhill. Mm. Which That's seems nice. to be a disappointment largely because of, um, or at least one of the reasons being the cast, the casting of Will Ferrell in that role and that he's very miscast, which 
I mean, I could have told you that when, you know, they cast, when they announced the cast, but like, it just doesn't seem to have worked out. And I think it's one of those things where if you take something that is such a delicate sort of specific tone, like force majeure, mm-hmm. you really have to nail every aspect of getting that tone in the remake. And, you know, Farrell just wasn't working. He's such a specific type. He's such a, yeah, you need to be, you need to need exactly what he gives out in order to make him work. Yeah. I I guess Jim Carrey is such an interesting comparison to me because like I think I know you do you love this performance Joe Kevin I'm sure you you might as well compare Will Ferrell in this movie both on the page and the performance itself to Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine right like, yeah there's not a whole lot of like background information on that character or like what makes him tick or like what he's bringing to the table of in Eternal Sunshine, but, like, it feels so layered and detailed because of what Jim Carrey is doing. Like, the point is probably that Harold Crick is supposed to be pretty square. But, but, the defining characteristic of Joel in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is that he's boring. Like, that's what she doesn't like about him. That's why she broke up with him. That's sort of the inciting incident that sets the whole movie in motion. But Jim Carrey's able to play a character who could be seen as boring by somebody like Clementine in that movie Mm -hmm. um, in a way that has... Well, there's also, like, other things that are alive in that character, like a sense of longing. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I was I think he communicates that very well. Honestly, I would have nominated him in that year. Oh, totally. hundred percent. love that performance so much. But um, I also think, you know, it is a screenplay issue as well, because Eternal Sunshine is like an all-timer for me in terms of a screenplay. And so when you're working with that and then Will Ferrell working with this, I don't know if he was just a little lost on exactly what to do here, but it just feels like he has that... Uh, over-the-top manic presence in so many of his films that he just went in the complete opposite direction here and just underplayed everything mm-hmm. to the point that, yes, his charisma is just totally gone, you yeah. know? But, I mean, I do think there's a few moments where he's stands out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, sort of in the in the scene that you were talking about, Joe, where him and Dustin Hoffman are sort of confronting the reality yes. that he has to die. Yes, I, think I would agree with that. The way he's kind of desperately sort of clinging to whatever it whatever right. to make sure he stays alive is you know he has tears in his yeah. eyes. I think that's very well played. Uh, some of the Maggie Gyllenhaal stuff is good, but uh, all the ultimately, I just don't. It's it's hard for me to yeah. g- grasp this performance, mm-hmm. unfortunately, because I'm sort of rooting for him. I was rooting for him at the time, just on a similar level as a Steve Carell sort of situation, where I was just like, well, let's see what he can do. He has this wealth of comedic talent. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like totally. you know, comedians. You know, the the whole saying is that comedy is harder to do than drama. Right, and then you know, this happens. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. If you talk a little bit about the Oscar race, which, like, I'm about to bring up a weird movie that is, like, it will never (laughs) not be weird to bring up this movie and Oscar in the same breath. But, like, I actually kind of think one of the things that killed this movie was the success of Borat. What a weird thing to bring up, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean... <laughs> it is, though, but you're right. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen beats uh, Will Ferrell for the Comedy Globe. Like, right. nobody that was right. nominated against them was nominated for an Oscar, so it's right. like, it, that was its own thing. But, like, Borat opens, like, a week or two before this movie... And Sasha Baron Cohen is getting the type of reviews and critical assessment and even a little bit of awards buzz by, like, chaotic people um, for a movie that is so absurdly comedic, the type of thing that Will Ferrell does on the regular, and then Will Ferrell, like, does this pivot into dramatic work, and it gets, like, swiped under the rug a little bit. I, I would know. die to see how close Sasha Baron Cohen came to getting a Best Actor nomination that year. Oh yeah, me too. I think that was very, very possible. Closer than any of us want possible. to admit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Also, full circle a little bit in Bruno, they make fun of Mr. Megorium's mm. Wonder Emporium, <laughs> <laughs> which I will never forget, around. and I will. I have had such a hard time to <laughs> during this recording every time that I've mentioned Mr. Megorium's. Wonder Emporium, not calling it Herr Magorium's Wunderbar Emporium. <laughs> okay, well, listen, one other thing. Can you switch off uh, the television? Because no. I made a fart and I'm on the verge of buying Mr. Magorium's Wunderbar Emporium. That's unfortunate. No, but I refuse to pay for Mr. Magorium's Wunderbar Emporium. I did not press it. That's what he calls it in Bruno because, oh, like, God. it's the it's the gag where he <laughs> and his, like, what do you even want to call it? Assistant are, like, strapped in some, like, leather sex device that they can't get out of. <sighs> yeah. In sure. a hotel, and they call the hotel staff to, like, come help them. And with his butt cheeks, has accidentally purchased pay-per-view of Herr Magorium's <laughs> Wunderbar Emporium, and he is, like, yelling at the hotel staff that he did not intend to purchase that and does not want to be charged for it. Bruno is insane. Wonderful. I hate that I know that. I hate that I know that. <laughs> Thank you for detailing that, Chris. So, Appreciate yes, it. absolutely. That's, that's what I'm here to do. I am here to remind <laughs> us that Bruno exists. Um... But yeah, I mean, there is something to a comedic actor doing a dramatic performance and failing to get recognized while a comedic actor who does what that other performer normally does succeeding that I find very fascinating. That, like, I don't know if that's really been replicated comparatively. No, I think yeah. that's I think that's very interesting, and I, I, like maybe I'm down on a cosmic level, it feels like it's just that the comedic actor doing comedic things should be you know more rewarded, and yet I remember being full of despair <laughs> when <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> won that com- the one that Comedy Golden Globe, <laughs> where I was just like, I mean, at least like be a movie star. You know what I mean? It's just like, at least be among us. Whereas just like Sasha Baron Cohen always sort of like seems to hold every, the rest of humanity at a remove and whatever. And that's why I've never been able to sort of really get down with the stuff, even though like objectively a lot of the stuff in Borat is funny. And that poster with Borat and Glenn Close that says the wife is still so funny to me. Oh, boy. My wife. <laughs> God. <laughs> Glenn Close should have won for my wife. She should have, if she um, had just been called my wife. I still say that the funniest thing that could possibly happen, and this is going to come out after the Oscars anyway, but whatever, maybe I'll be prophetic, is if Jonathan Price were to win Best Actor for The Two Popes. 
and you just cut to Glenn Close somewhere in the audience, wherever she is in America. And just like that like look of it's like my she'll shitty be she'll husband. post on her Instagram, she'll have a story that starts with Hi my friends, which is my favorite thing that she does. <laughs> yes, very solemnly. Yeah, hi my friends. I, I that super cut video that was on Twitter for like a week of just her saying hi my friends, it was amazing. Um <laughs> We should also mention the fellow Globe comedy nominees that year were Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Oi. We're back. Chiwetel Ejiofor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chiwetel Ejiofor for Kinky Boots. Awesome. Aaron Eckhart for Thank You for Smoking. Also pretty awesome. Thank You I for like Smoking it. still yeah. is a shocking non-nominee to me that it yeah. has no Oscar nominations. Considering everything. But yeah, it's like how here's the thing it's like it's will ferrell and the movie is like vaguely comedic but like wouldn't this make more sense as a drama nominee or like slotted as drama i I don't always think it's so funny when comedic actors get a golden globe nomination or even a win in the case of aquafina and everyone sort of considers it their big venture into dramatic film but like they're still in the musical or comedy category yes that is fair. that's love that (laughs) <laughs> Again, it is Joe Reed whose job it should be to like have the rubber stamp of comedy or drama. Just make me yes. Golden Globes commissioner. That's all I want. Just the yep. judge. Yes. Just pay me a six-figure salary to make twenty decisions every year, and that is all. That is all I want to do. <laughs> that is Joe's capacity. That is it. That's all that I have make. the energy for. Otherwise, I will. Spend my office hours in that little Hollywood Foreign Press office directly between the Abbey and Sir in West Hollywood. And that's exactly where I want to do my business. I think if you get to be commissioner of what is Globes comedy and drama, I should get to be the commissioner of what is eligible for best original song. Deal. Ooh. You have a deal, sir. And (laughs) I would just like access to vote totals. You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, that's it. That's all we want. That that would be. I think you have the best idea of all of us, Kevin. Because like, I think but, it's time to release, take him out of the vault. What what it should be is like, um, like United States government top secret classified rules, where it's just like we won't know now, but in thirty years. <laughs> These, we'll know who killed JFK. These ballots will become declassified. <laughs> and it's literally just like, I just got to make it to 80. I just got to make it to, to age 80. And like, I'll be able to see <laughs> what would have, what was runner up in like 19 fucking 44. And like, whatever. It's just like, and it's a reason to live for another five years. And it's a reason to live for another five years. It's just like, mm-hmm. get to those vote totals. Mm-hmm. To know Especially how helpful close. for my show. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> then I would know conclusively what the runners up were. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. Wouldn't it be a gag if you like discovered that the queen was in second place? The queen stays queen. What a twist! And the queen stays queen. Um, can I uh, do the Mark Forster of it all for a second? Oh, yeah. Yes, let's talk about Mark Forster. There's a lot to talk about here. So I'm going to do my thing where I run through chronologically their uh, their their major career highlights. But like, so he makes the two movies before Monsters Ball that we don't really have to care about. Monsters Ball in 2001 is like the big one, the big uh, sort of indie Oscar hit. Halle Berry obviously um, takes the Best Actress race by storm surprisingly wins the SAG in an upset over Sissy Spacek and then wins the Oscar and hyperventilates over everything and is amazing and 
Um, you know, thanks Vivica A. Fox wonderful in her speech. speech, which we've all wanted to do, and it's wonderful. And so then Mark Forster, being the sort of like director who directed this actress to this win, is like, oh, now he might become a thing. And then, oh, lo and behold, he does it again, well, just to a nomination this time, with his next movie, Finding Neverland, the most boring movie that ever existed. And so now he's got two consecutive best or like acting nominations uh in front of him and then like we even we write this the pass for stay because wasn't stay one of those things where it's just like ah, it's an old screenplay or whatever and it's like uh stay wasn't it on the shelf like, for a while i feel it's listed on let me look at the written by david dates. benioff on IMDb, by the way because oh it says God, that benioff. it's wow. it was released in 2005 <laughs> i feel like it was sat around longer than that Mm. Let me look up the filming dates, but keep going. Um, But yeah, that was during the sort of era when like David Benioff was like the hot screenwriter because he had also done um, 25th Hour. So that was before Game of Thrones happened and became like a publicly held commodity where, you know, everybody has to have a piece of them or whatever. So stay isn't good. Then Stranger Than Fiction happens. And that is also a disappointment. And then unlike undaunted, he comes out with the kite runner and everybody still is just like, everybody loved that book. Of course it's going to be a big Oscar hit. And then that gets like a score nomination, I want to say, and nothing else. It gets mm. one nomination. I know that. And it is for, yes, Alberto Iglesias' score. And so now it's just like, okay, well, now after the initial success, Forrester's gone. Oh, for, <coughs> excuse me. Forster is now gone. O for two, O for three, technically, but we're not going to count stay. Stay. So O for two. Stay was shot in two thousand three, by yeah. the way. So yeah. it would have been shot before Finding Neverland was even released. Right. That's sort of what I mean. I think it sat on the shelf for a while, and it ultimately was just like, yeah, just yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Um, so Complete the two, disaster, but nobody noticed it happening. Yeah. Two big Oscar whiffs. Then they're like, ah, just go direct this James Bond movie, Quantum of Solace, the one movie that nobody talks about in the Daniel Craig. <laughs> James because Bond-verse. it's a nightmare. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. But it has the distinction of being filmed during the writer's strike. So it's sure. like, where wow. do you place the blame? Right. So again, Forster is just like, not my fault. And so then, <laughs> but still then, I think at this point, he's just like, if not in director jail, which, by the way, Karen Kusama would have been publicly executed by this point in terms of like yep. the director jail. <laughs> Karen Kusama yeah. was publicly executed for two <laughs> movies, one of which is very good. And yes. Just as. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Absolutely. So Forster then comes back with, wait for it, Machine Gun Preacher in 2011. Didn't we all mm. want to watch Gerard Butler as a former drug-dealing biker tough guy who found God, <laughs> became a crusader for Sudanese children? <sighs> okay. So Machine Gun Preacher. <laughs> Nobody Machine wanted. Gun Preacher is 9,000% a trailer at the beginning of Tropic Thunder. I, well, I was going to say, or like in Grindhouse, right? Where it's literally just like the Harvey Keitel character in From Dusk Till Dawn. It's, it's yeah. yeah. All right. After that, two years later, World War Z, which is a success. Which also sat around for forever and got pushed because, like, wasn't he fired off of that movie? I think that, I think essentially what the the story that never quite got put on the record, or maybe it did, I don't know. Like, he and Pitt feuded on that, right? Or, like, had, like, creative disagreements, right? And I think also the studio as well (coughs) with Mark Forster because, like, that movie was entirely off the rails. 
I think Brad like, Pitt basically like got his way on that movie and just sort of like whatever movie existed, it existed because of Brad Pitt's sort of producing um, heft, I guess. And so yeah, they got been, like half of the movie was gutted and reshot. And like they keep trying to like attach David Fincher to do a sequel to it, and you just want them to let it go, and they're not letting it go. And so then we come back to this Blake Lively is a blind woman. Uh, All I see is you movie, which was definitely at TIFF in 2016, and then didn't get With released zero in fanfare for another year. <laughs> Um, oh, this was the last movie for open road films. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, <laughs> the thing about All I See Is You is that it is one of those movies that, like, you don't even know that it's there at TIFF. Yeah. And then, like, when the movie comes out a year later, you're like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. This was a Toronto movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. what? what the hell was it? a year or two ago where there was like a major director, major star movie that was just fully a non entity, but allegedly played the festival. It's that's oh, going to be crazy. I mean, every your, year has one. Yes. Every year has, has one. at least one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then two years ago, he directs Christopher Robin, which was cute, right? Like, that was the Ewan I McGregor I don't one. like that movie. It's fine. My opinion on Christopher cute. Robin is... It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It, you know, did it need that Oscar nomination that it got for visual effects? Probably not. That's the thing that it deserves I guess attention it's, 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 for. Like, I liked that. That was in, that felt inventive. How many cute little animate, an, animated uh, teddy bears do we need before we're like... We've, we've seen the limits of what we can do with teddy bear technology in film. Like... I feel like from like AI to there was this obviously Paddington like we're good. I, I'm going to say I'm going to declare for all of us we're good with cute little bears. We got it. Let's try some <laughs> I, digital I, I, bear technology. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Glad we've moved on to cats. Is all I'm saying. I'm glad yeah. we've moved on to cats. My favorite part anyway. of Christopher Robin is when Piglet's looking around and saying, "Oh dear, where's Skimble?" <laughs> <laughs> That's my pick. And then you and McGregor just bursts in from the other side of the screen and goes skim with a handlebar mustache. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Once again, our designated cats content for the episode. So you are welcome. Yes. <laughs> in perpetuity. Okay, but Mark Forster is like mm. Almost the poster child for like non entity director. Not to be so rude to him. <laughs> but like, what is the Mark Forster movie? What is the Mark Forster what experience? Like, you yeah. can't really <laughs> pin any of the, uh, pin any type of narrative thread between all of these movies. I mean, like, not even sentimentality. No, not like, really. It, maybe it just seems like he's a studio guy and just like, followed the jobs or something but like none of these have like an authorial voice to them on an individual level or when you lump them all together i think it's really just straight down the middle emotional experience quote unquote yeah Yeah, that's fair (laughs) i suppose just even when it's like not successful but that's what it's trying to go for right yeah sort of a gateway drug into other kinds of 
experiences like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just really, yeah. It's there's you can't put a pin pin in. Yeah, and he keeps getting chances. Yeah, it's like it's this so. weird anonymity that it makes absolute sense that none of this has ever really translated to Oscar buzz for him like maybe people were saying that about Finding Neverland but like he was never really taken seriously as a director contender the way that maybe we would now because like we're post Tom Hooper and like those type of names I don't know I just it's it's very strange to me when or like I guess this is just quintessential Wait what, what do you mean post Tom like, Hooper like Tom Hooper getting uh, for the the King's Speech sure, feels sure, like sure. it changed things, or like of this is just like the sentimental. There's probably a better example, and people who haven't won. Yeah, I don't know. I was it's really hoping just... you were bringing it around to another cat's uh, comparison, just because I figured. <laughs> well, really I mean, need... Tom Hooper famously has won Best Director for Cats. Well, yes, it has happened. So yeah. it's it's it the surprise at the Oscars when they opened that envelope and they were just like who a write-in winner write-in ballot for Tom, Tom Hooper for Hooper. Cats yeah by the way January thirteenth twenty twenty Cats episode is all I'm saying all right <sighs> <laughs> I don't know I'm Mark bracing Forster, myself for it <laughs> yes yeah mm-hmm. it's it's just a weird thing where it's like he is so removed from the actual Oscar conversation for a movie, but his name being attached put has put a lot of movies in that type of conversation. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's mm-hmm. right. Very strange. Stranger yeah. than fiction, you might say. Yo, I might say that. Good luck with the cow, sir. Good luck with the cow, sir. The cow. Wow, what an insult that sounds like if you don't know what the specifics of his career are. Yeah, good, I mean, I think cow, we could say sir. we know that it's an insult knowing the specifics of this <laughs> We should maybe talk about screenplay a little bit because this one, it, mm. it feels like the obvious conversation is the Will Ferrell part of it, but like this actually was probably sixth or seventh place for original screenplay come Oscar yeah. time. Like, it, what were those WGA? nominations? Yeah. Yeah, it was nominated with Writers Guild, which is always like. You can skew that a little bit because certain things aren't eligible. It was the National Board of Review winner. Critics' Choice nominated it. The Oscar I love that it was the National of... Board of Review winner, by the way. Can we just like linger on that for like half a second? <laughs> yes, yes. And like... that this was not like National Board of Review's like special recognition right. for 20 other films. No, like... It was the one screenplay of the whole year that they were just like that one. What were their awards that year? I mean, they give. Okay, so. Whitaker and Mirren, so they were like as on consensus in the acting categories as probably ever. They mm-hmm. got Jaiman Hansu. Breakthrough for um, Jennifer Hudson, right? Breakthrough for Jennifer Hudson and Rinko Kikuchi in a tie. Ooh, mm-hmm. fabulous. Ryan Gosling was their Breakthrough Male, so that's also a nomination. Their supporting actor was Jaiman Hansu for Blood Diamond. He got a nomination. And then supporting actress was Catherine O'Hara for Four Year Consideration, as heard at the beginning of these podcasts every week. Um... Which is, like, a cool flyer to take, I feel like, right? Like, sometimes the National yeah. Board of Review is weird in good ways, and we can just, like, yeah, this is... And then, yeah, Best Original Screenplay, Stranger Than Fiction, their adapted screenplay was The Painted Veil. Was that also not an Oscar nomination? Uh, it was not. Yeah. It's Painted Veil is one of those movies that I always think is a score nominee or, like, a cinematography nominee, and it is not. Their Freedom of Expression Award that year went to two films, one of them World Trade Center, which... You know, 
courage to Oliver Stone for finally speaking out about how terrible 9-11 was. And right. also tied with that from Canada, water. Water. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a moment in time. What a, moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> what a very uh, uh, explicit moment in time. Yes. But yeah, it was probably pretty close to cracking that original screenplay nomination. Maybe thank God for letters from Iwo Jima for coming along and taking and that nomination And also Pan's instead. Labyrinth, because like mm-hmm. the bench for original screenplay is not that deep this year, and it definitely feels like they just went the best picture route, or it's like the mm-hmm. waves of like what was popular were like in the wide sense. Right. It took over an original screenplay. Yeah, because it's Little Miss Sunshine won. Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Pan's Labyrinth, and The Queen. And The Queen's probably second place, right? I feel Uh, like Babel might have been. I think Babel, just for the construction of that. I think that's as much as... I remember The Queen getting a lot of critics' prizes for screenplay. Mm. That's very possible. I feel like my thing with Babel was this is like as high as Guillermo Arriaga ever got on the like respect from Hollywood scale Mm -hmm. like the backlash of his sort of mode of storytelling but i feel like the backlash sort of started to hit where it was just sort of just like wait are all of his movies like this (laughs) just like unrelenting (laughs) sadness and also a chopped up narrative structure like okay and just like moroseness like three burials of melchiatis estrada sure yeah yeah yeah. doing our quarterly diligence to remind people that that movie exists (laughs) indeed do we also think that something like Little Miss Sunshine made it way more difficult for a movie like Stranger Than Fiction to get ahead? Especially, like, its best chance at a nomination was the category that Little Miss Sunshine won. Being I really that it's like, do think so. Yeah. yeah. I think the energy of that specific type of film sucked up all the energy. It's just, you know, it's... It- it was this all centralized such a on that dark year. Like all of yeah, these Oscar <laughs> movies are so brooding, which is why it's so surprising to me that Dreamgirls didn't come ahead. Hmm. Honestly, because like I don't know, you need some sense of like it, it's just like when one thing is not like the other, it helps it stand out a little bit more. But like Little Miss Sunshine is the one that benefits from not being so grim i guess yeah listen the animated feature film winner was happy feet i don't know what more you want their feet were happy that's all there was to it oscar winner george miller (laughs) that's right never forget (laughs) i don't know is there anything else we want to talk about this oscar year or this movie in particular it wasn't Here's the thing that I think about the critical reception of this movie. I, It feels a little bit like people were being kind to it. Like, is it one of those things that, like, when it premiered at TIFF, had, like, a good slot where people still have some goodwill? Because it's 73% right. Rotten Tomatoes, 67 Metacritic, which is, like, very typical for us when we're talking about, like, movies that we actually enjoy. But, like, that feels really high for this movie. It definitely feels like a movie where you, it seems well-intentioned enough that you don't want to pick on it, but you also want to just sort of, like, stop talking about it as soon as possible. And you're just like, ah, you know, 72. Like, okay. It got some genuinely good reviews, though. Like, Roger Ebert really liked it. 
I, I, I do think there was a lot of just respect for the concept itself, just yeah. in a totally innovative sort of idea. I remember uh, thinking that when the trailer came out. I was just like, wow, yeah. this is like... And of course, I was so in the tank for Charlie Kaufman stuff at the time that like, exactly. I didn't really... I wasn't particularly put off by a knockoff at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think now yeah. I watch it and the flaws are not quite all I see, but like, it's very hard not to like, pu- like pick out all the ways that I don't love what this movie is doing. See, it was at the time that I had the yeah. issue. Yeah. I feel like you and Charlie I Kaufman, went in opposite direction. Like store brand version of it, you know, like, and now I have less of a time because Charlie Kaufman is less of like an entity in right. like movie going. Exactly. What mm. parts of the movie hit you different this time? Um, I guess it's just like that's not the that wasn't the lens that I was watching this movie through, and like I had to remind myself of that context yeah. to really like feel it. I get you because I, I of course at the yeah. time was like everyone else a Charlie Kaufman acolyte. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, just a random note I took. Um, did you notice the dropping of, of on the nature of daylight no. in the film? Yes, I did. I always the famous yeah, yeah, yeah. Max Richter song <sighs> that's famously used in Arrival. I started I crying already. Yeah. You want to make well, a baby? <laughs> After listening to that, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. I believe this is one of the first instances of a film using that, and now it is used all the time. All the time. But man, <laughs> yeah. so good every time I hear it. Yeah. Sorry, one second. I'm going to wait for this siren to pass. Yeah, the cops are coming to get me for quoting that line. <laughs> And yet I can't Doc, have my I was going to watch down. the Doc shorts. Now I want to watch Arrival today. <laughs> <laughs> what did I think yesterday? Where it's just like, oh, it wasn't think. It was, I mean, I was talking to Chris earlier before you got on, Kevin, about uh, hmm. um, my inability to sleep on a normal schedule. Like a person, uh. like a human person. So <laughs> last night, Funny Girl is on TCM at like 1230. Hell yeah. And I'm just like, oh. well, I guess I'm here until this movie's over. So, <laughs> yeah. Watch all the funny girl. I'm here for at least two and a half hours. Exactly. Now. <laughs> exactly. What a wonderful Ugh. watching that movie again. I was like, and I think I watched it the first time when I was like too young to really like appreciate it for like so many of the things that it's doing. It is incredibly genuinely funny in not a way that in a way that feels ahead of its time. Oh my god! And like yes. it's like <laughs> you expect it to be a little like. You know how My Fair Lady is like hammy, funny, just sort of like mm. elbow you in your ribs kind of stuff? It's just like, oh, there's like some like sort of sly humor in this. And like Barbara really had like really good comedy timing in that. And like, but also yeah. it, man, it's really good. And also what's her face? The the um, the neighbor lady in that movie is not only the voice of Olive Oil and Betty Boop, but is also um, uh, the Christmas Vacation. Yes, from Christmas Vacation, yep. the old yep. from mm. Christmas Vacation. It's amazing. Quest died or something. Grace died 30 Um, years ago. Okay. (laughs) I will also say one thing that just feels so incredible and captivating about that movie, and like maybe this is a basic thing to say, whatever. We don't like 
capture actresses that way? Like, what was the last time you watched a movie where you felt like the camera was absolutely in love with an actress and was just, like, in awe of the person on screen? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence in any David O. Russell film. <laughs> but that okay, might be for different prob- reasons. That's probably fair. Um, I don't know. It's just, like, that whole final thing. Yeah. The whole sequence is just like, it's amazing because her performance is amazing, but like, it just feels rare nowadays to watch like the camera be captivated too. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not describing the feeling well, but you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. (laughs) It's gorgeous. Yeah. What else do we have about Stranger Than Fiction? Well... Um, one thing that is another thing I took note of is Maggie Gyllenhaal's character name is Anna Pascal, and I keep wanting to say Amy Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> the true Ramona of every Oscar season, because Amy Pascal, it, or maybe she's the true like old Deuteronomy, because yes. like Amy Pascal... Hmm. Wearing a fur coat everywhere she goes. Every fucking wear. Half the time with sunglasses indoors. And <laughs> every single award show, she, like, ups the ante even more. And I think mm-hmm. I think it was one of those things where, like, the Sony hack happened. And the emails all leaked out. And she saw her entire career flash before her eyes. And she was just like, well, this is it. And now, every single, like, award show is, like tap dancing on the clouds of heaven where it's just like mm-hmm. well this is all bonus life this is all bonus career i get to have now and just like so yeah, she's gravy. just like yeah. fuck it like chances to the wind <laughs> her on stage with the spider-verse people at the golden globes last year <laughs> where she literally was like hair all askew and just like Three sheets to the wind and having the goddamn time of her life and so triumphant and so much like I didn't think this was going to happen again. And I said on Twitter, I was like, the camera cut away just before she started singing Rose's turn. And I literally (laughs) all I wanted out of life was to see Amy Pascal just like break into like (laughs) just like mama's stepping out now and get ready. And now we've got little women. And you know how wonderful. She has a best picture nomination. Soul credit as a producer. Yeah. Amy Pascal, I get as much, probably more, thrill of seeing her in the crowd of an awards show than I get from, like, Meryl Streep or, like, (laughs) Carol Burnett. Don't you say that name with disdain in your voice, sir. Not disdain. I'm (laughs) saying this is the level of excitement I have when I see her. I'm pretty sure the first time you saw her in the audience of the Globes... I text you immediately, Amy Pascal. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but All also, caps. it is what I, I do to you when I see Don Gummer. That's true. When I'm just like, I saw Don Gummer. Speaking of people who say things with disdain in their voice, I imagine no one has ever been more over anything than Don Gummer mm. at literally any award show. Don is not about it. Don was very appreciative when she led her Oscar speech with him so that he wouldn't get played off with the band, is all I'm saying. Yes. Very sweet man who does not like an awards show. I love that man. Mm. Okay. I love Don Gummer. (laughs) I love you, Don Gummer. What if he listens? What if he did? What if he, like, is on the back 
screened-in patio porch of his home in Connecticut with Merrill in Greenwich. Mm-hmm. And he just, like... Merrill's like, what are you listening to, He gardens to, for a while, and he puts on his little, like, wireless <laughs> headphones. And, yeah, Merrill's just like, Dom, what are you listening to? And he says, oh, you wouldn't understand. And he sort of chuckles yeah. to himself because he knows that she yeah. would understand. And then he hears Meryl's us... Merrill's listening to, like... The Daily or something, right. and Don Gummer is listening to two gay men. Listening to a sound clip out of Pero OWA for the 12th time, and him laughing about it again. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Thanks for your support, wow. Don. What a beautiful picture we just painted here. <laughs> Canonical, this had Oscar Buzz fan, Don Gummer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we move on to the IMDb game? Yes. Sure. Yes. All right, so... Joseph, would you like to explain the IMDb game for our listeners? Oh, I certainly would. Okay, so every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. <laughs> a free-for-all of hints in my Goldie Hawness voice. <laughs> Thank you, Goldie. Yeah. Thank you, Goldie. Um, so, Kevin, as our guest, you hold the power. Um, <sighs> I'm just giving that my best Senator Martin. You have the power. <laughs> Love your suit. <laughs> Please, my daughter is Catherine. <laughs> Kevin, would you like to give first or guess first? Um, I'm going to guess first. All right. Would you no. like to give to Joe or me? I'll give to you, Chris. All right. You're giving to me, which means Joe is going to give to you. And since you are guessing first, Joseph. Yes. Tell Kevin <sighs> who he is challenged with for the IMDb game. So I've already mentioned it a couple of times before, uh, before in this episode. But Mark Forster directed a movie where Blake Lively plays a blind lady. So why don't you guess Blake Lively's known for? One of them is television. Okay, so Gossip Girl. Presumably, yes. yes. And The Shallows. Correct. Yes. Now, I sort of have a blind spot with Blake Lively, largely. Ironically. Yes, wow. Uh, (laughs) I just don't necessarily seek out her movies. Nothing personal, just not always on my radar. So now we're going to think about this. She was definitely in a movie that involved Ben Affleck. One of those. Uh Okay, so that was encouraging. (laughs) I I think I'm on the right track. you are. Hmm... Okay, well, I just rewatched Gone Baby Gone recently. She was not in that, so it must be the town. Correct, the town. Okay, okay. Wow, you are okay. three for three, three for with three. no wrong guesses, sir. Yeah. I think okay, this would work. make you, if you can get this without having to get the year, I think you would be our first guess with a perfect score. No, that can't be. Have we had a guess I with a perfect score? I can't think of off the time, top of my head. If you are a former yeah, guest of ours listening to this and we are slighting you by not remembering that you went Your four for four, score. yeah, let us know. <laughs> well, this is where I just hit a... <laughs> <laughs> expectations, expectations, expectations. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. What is going on with Blake Lively's career? <laughs> <laughs> Share tweet. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's going to be early or late or somewhere in between. This is where Joseph just throws things out to get the year to, like, push him along. Sometimes. However, <laughs> I, I have confidence that you can get this in a perfect score. Yeah. Can I? Talk it out. What's your thought process here? Where where are you going? What is what is what is she, uh, a romance of sorts, perhaps? Hmm. Something involving time travel. I don't know. Uh, There's. It seems like you're yes. circling the right area. Is all I will say. Okay. There's just so many vague titles that come to mind when I if think of those can, kinds like, of films. Describe the movie enough that it's like you have everything but the title. That's fully getting the movie. To me. We've is there time travel? <laughs> uh, All right. Well, that's not how I would put it. Okay. Right, Joe? I haven't seen this. Yeah, movie. I don't I think, strictly haven't... speaking, that's what's at play, but like, there's adjacencies there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it definitely time is a theme. Yeah. Yes. What is a time is a theme? Okay. Yes. Specifically to the character that she plays. And not the time traveler's wife. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. One Rachel McAdams. Right. Of course. Ooh. Well, whatever it is, I don't think I've seen it, <laughs> to be quite blunt about well, it. Well, it sounds so. like none of us have. Mm. I've seen bits of it. I know, I will say, like, people I know kind of swear by it. Semi ironically, yeah, but I, not I, quite. Some people like it. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> um, okay, so... Time time is a way that we measure what in people? Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I remember this now. You've unlocked this for me. I think it's the age of Adeline. The age of Adeline. Very the good. The age yes. of Adeline. Four for four. We wow. are giving minimal, this to you as a hints. perfect yeah. score. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, those are literally the only movies I can think of. Yeah, I was trying to think I of, like, what else. A Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants would have been oh, on there. okay. Uh, or um, A Simple Favor. Maybe A Simple Favor's too new, but... Listen, mm. Savages is right there, and she does oh. say the word wargasms okay. in that movie, so... <laughs> what a moment. Yes. The Town, a movie that does or does not exist. I mean, for an Oscar nominee in a major category, yeah. Kind of. That was this close to being a best picture that Jeremy Renner is nominated for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre, man. Like, that nomination doesn't happen if he doesn't get nominated for The Hurt Locker. If right? the town gets nominated yeah. instead of Winter's Bone, which almost happened for best picture, yeah. do, does, does the Academy backlash against that enough to do the um, less than 10, more than 5 best picture uh, change-up? in that category i mean winter's bone is like because the story goes it that feels they were like, like the so... straw that breaks the camel's back because the movie was so small and people were like what is this movie right well, you nominated it in other things so shut up right yeah i'm just looking at imdb now and i can't believe that a simple favor is not there right a simple <laughs> favor Lively. yeah i just totally blocked Man. that out and that should be there IMDb. you know what else <laughs> could be there that we've also absolutely blocked out She's the love interest of the Green Lantern movie. Yes, that's true. Oop. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What a moment. What a- All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So we'll move on. We'll we'll go backwards this episode. How about that? Joseph. Yes. 
reason I say we're going backwards is because I too chose a Mark Forster performer. Okay. Mark Forster famously directed Holly Berry to her Oscar. You know who he did not nominate to an Oscar? Her co-star, Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, Billy B. Ooh. Okay. Oh, man. It's not like Billy Bob Thornton's made a bajillion movies. Um, yeah. Okay. There's no TV. I know that he won a Golden Globe for Goliath, but that is a television show <laughs> that absolutely <laughs> isn't real. Does not exist. Yeah. No. No, 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 no. That's not a show. All right. Billy And Bob. also Fargo. <laughs> right. Fargo. Which I'm amazed he never won anything for because he was really good in that. All right. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Sling Blade. Yes. Sling Blade. Um, well, we'll stay on the Oscar train and do a simple plan. Uh, yes. A simple plan. Okay. Two for two. Okay. Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Armageddon. Yes! Aha! Is this going to be an episode of Perfect Scores? I don't know. I, I think the next one is maybe the <laughs> hardest the one. Okay. <laughs> Though I do kind of forget that he is in Armageddon sometimes. He's The thing you remember about him being in Armageddon is he's the one who goes, uh, when they're talking about like the, uh, a meteorite the size of whatever would cause whatever, and they say, well, how big is this one? And he says, it's about the size of Texas, sir. So yeah. that's what I remember about him. Well, he is basically... The red state Ed Harris of Apollo 13 for that movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, like, Armageddon is like red state Apollo 13. <laughs> That's a good point. So, like, who's your red state Ed Harris? It's Billy Bob Thornton. All right. Um, One movie left. No wrong guesses so far. What direction would Bad Santa? No. Ah, okay. Hmm. Um... I keep wanting to say primary colors, even though I know it's not going to be primary colors. So, what else? Billy Bob. I don't want to say Bad News Bears either, because that's stupid. Um, Bandits? No. Two wrong guesses. Your year is 2001. The man who wasn't there. The man who wasn't there. Don't the underestimate Brothers the Coens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there, does he have other Coens? Does he? Feels like he should, I right? I don't know. Hmm. Let me look. He was probably a near nominee for that movie, too. He's wonderful. Oh, that. Yeah. that whole movie is so underrated. With that. I need mm-hmm. to see that again. Frances McDormand's wonderful in that movie. Yeah, I remember her in it. Scar- a young Scarlett Johansson is in that movie. Yes, very much so. Um, Intolerable Cruelty is the other Coens that he is in. Ah, uh, yes. My least yes, favorite yes, Coens. Yes, yes, yes. A Coens I have never seen. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, well. Kevin, who do you have for me? Hi. All right, Chris. So hopefully this hasn't been done before i am going to say another finding neverland person Uh and i am going to say kelly mcdonald oh kelly mcdonald um no country for old men Mm -hmm. she's so freaking good in that movie if that movie had had like another week and it's like it's weird to say a movie that was always a front runner but like if there had been another week of campaigning for that movie yeah she would have been a nominee 
coin, yep, yep. coin don't got no say. Um, is there is there any voice work because she's a Disney? Yes, princess. there is. Okay, so brave. Yes. Correct. Uh, I don't even remember who she plays in Finding Neverland, so I can't imagine. She plays quote Peter Pan. <laughs> sure. It's in quotes in the IMDb. Yeah, fabulous. Um, mm-hmm. Because of my long-standing history with this movie and not getting it on IMDb, I will take the fall if I don't have this right. But is Gosford Park on there? It is. Very good. I've learned my lesson. I really, really, really wanted you to get hung up on Gosford Park just for the (laughs) hilarity of it. Hmm? Well, yeah. So you got got three. Kelly McDonald, incredible performer Mm. who is sometimes hard to remember because she doesn't get the size of roles that she deserves. Huh. I'm trying to remember what her other movie would have been. I might just throw out something stupid that I can just remember to get the year. Hmm. Yeah, this one's going to be a tough one for you. This one, I will say, would have been a big, tough one for me. It is... Mm -hmm. Not only do I not... Well, it's mostly that the movie... (laughs) You don't have to give me hints yet. You don't have to give me... It'll be fine. Um... I'm I know this isn't there and like from what you've just said I know that this isn't right so I will just happily take the year. Um Is it Anna Karenina? It is not. Yeah. Yeah. So. She's not in that movie that much. It's just I love that movie. Um Me too. Okay, what's my year? All right. We have 2017. So oh, wow. Pretty recent. Ooh. Oh, it's not. No, no, that's newer than this. I was thinking of the movie Puzzle, where she plays a woman <laughs> who like rediscovers herself and leaves her shitty marriage um, through the art of building of competitive competitive puzzling. Mm, um, it's not puzzle. <laughs> it's kind of a lovely movie. <laughs> um, I believe you. I don't know. Um, ooh. So, as I was saying, it's not as much as you don't remember her being in this movie as that even from 2017, it is a movie that does not exist. And Mm. it's a movie that if you, if I had told you 10 years ago that they were making this movie, you'd have been like, oh, that's going to be a big deal. And then it was, could not have been a littler deal. And it kind of came and went. Okay. Would have been a big deal. Why would it have been a big deal for it Is to it have been too much of a hint to say the nature of the film? Well, wh- why know. are movies anticipate? Why are like what are the most anticipated movies? I mean, it's not going to be a superhero movie because no, I would but, probably no. figure that out. But like, what it what makes a movie like? Why? I mean, is it a franchise movie? It's like, not is a she franchise. in some like? It's not a franchise, but it's a. But it's a sequel. Yeah. Hmm. 
Even Ugh. it's even directed by the same guy who did the first movie, which is usually the mark okay. of a good sequel, or at least a sequel that will get attention. But this is just like a sequel that nobody absolutely was it like a fully unnecessary sequel or like did people want this it was unnecessary but Mm. not unwelcome it was a sequel to a good movie okay a sequel to a movie that a lot of people loved and like the world would have been fine without a sequel to it because the story like you know was fine Uh as it was but it was a good movie and people were like you know love this movie the first one and it 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 had been a while while. since the first Yeah. yeah sequels but like I, I don't know if i'll get it from and so kelly mcdonald in addition to being in this movie that you're guessing was also in the original like they brought the whole original cast back except for like so it would have been from a while wa- a long time wait you have <laughs> got to be kidding me yep. first of all yep. shame on me for not guessing the original right. i should have guessed the original shame on imdb though for it not being the original <laughs> I know, I know. It should have been train spotting, yep. but it's train spotting too. Yes, it's T two train spotting. So <laughs> go to hell. Yes. No, wait yep. a minute. Train spotting two was on somebody else's IMDb game for mm-hmm. us a while back, and I think you got stumped on it, Joe. Was it Robert Carlyle? <laughs> Didn't you give me Robert Carlyle? That sounds oh, like wow. a shitty thing I would do. Yes, it does, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, How does it feel? well d'angelo um it felt bad um oh see now on robert carlisle's imdb it's train spotting one hmm Mm. so we changed everyone's listening to us and stacking the deck (laughs) well done everyone well done and a great episode yes kevin thank you so much for coming on and joining us and giving us this movie to finally talk about it feels like a real quintessential movie for what we do here Truly. It was an honor. I love this show. So thank oh, you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, if you yeah. guys want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Kevin, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your work. Well, you could find me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Jacobson. And my podcast is the Twitter is at Oscar runner up just to get into it a little bit. We just talk about the runners up of each and every best picture lineup going all the way back through history. I'm at the point now where I'm uh, around the fifties, forties era. So that's what we're talking about lately. Just yeah, recorded one on sunset Boulevard, which was a blast Oscar history. Kevin's podcast <laughs> is incredible. Yes. And if you want to hear more from Mr. Chris file, you can listen to the who's afraid of Virginia Wolf episode on 1966, which, which was a blast. fun. Yes. Nice. We had a good time talking about an incredible movie and a bunch of and also the bad. sand devils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're welcome. But yes, thanks again. <laughs> Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Come to Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R E I D. Also on Letterboxd. Um, Reed also spelled R E I D there as well. Uh, Joe Reed is the name.
Fantastic. And you can find me as the voice inside your head telling you that you are going to die. <laughs> also on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Letterbox under the same name and writing regularly for the film experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So please be the narrator telling us not how we will die but how we are living we living. actually just passed 500 um, reviews on Apple so guys thank you so 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 much encourage all of your friends to give us that fifth star we um, are living that is all for honey, this week. honey snap, we are living. snaps up <laughs> sorry club 96. club 96 that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz now you gotta make me look up club 96 drop again I'll do it I will <laughs>